Well, tonight we are looking at Psalm 89. <coughs> Psalm 89. I invite you to turn with me there in your copies of God's Word. It is a longer psalm, so we won't be going into too much detail in certain parts, but in many ways, this will be an overview of the psalm, but I want to read it in its entirety as we begin this evening. So here now, this is the living word of God. This is Psalm 89. The contemplation of Ethan the Ezraite. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever. And build up your throne to all generations. Salah. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For you, for who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world in all its fullness, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, and our King to the Holy One of Israel. Then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One, and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. <coughs> I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil I have anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established. Also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my father. My God, in the rock of my salvation. 
Also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever in his throne as the days of heaven. <coughs> Excuse me. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity, iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever in his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Silah. But you have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by the way plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword and have not sustained him in the battle. You have made his glory cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. Selah. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? What, can man, what man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Salah. Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore to David in your truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants. How I long in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples. How I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples, with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray and seek his blessing. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this psalm. We thank you, Lord, for preserving it through the ages that we might know you through it. And Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might understand. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless my mind and my mouth, that I might think and speak clearly. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I was uh, in high school, myself and some other youth from my church in the uh, Midwest Presbytery 
caravan together and went to uh, Geneva College for a week, and they had a, a leadership training, a youth leadership training uh, week. And as we're traveling along, and we had about three vehicles together, we're all uh, you know, interspersed throughout these three vehicles, and we stop at a gas station. We fill up. We go to, in to use the facilities, and we usually did a good job of making sure everyone was in a van before we left. But at one point in our trip, we got in, in the vans, and we're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, the cell phone of the lead driver rang, and we could, I could hear him talking about, uh, well, no, he's, he's not here in our van. And so then, uh, pretty soon, it was decided that we needed to find the nearest exit and go back to the, to the gas station because one of the, uh, he was college age, so he was nearly an adult, but he'd been left behind. And so it took us a while. It wasn't a, an easy, uh, the, we were in a space in our trip where exits were not easy to come by. So we finally found one and went back, and he'd probably been there about half an hour. But he's just sitting there calmly outside the gas station, just waiting for us to come back. He wasn't panicking in any way or uh, throwing a fit. He just laughed about it and got in one of the cars, and we then went back on our way, making sure everyone was there. Now, when it appeared that this gentleman was abandoned uh, by those that he cared for or thought that cared for him, you know, he didn't panic. And the reason is, is because he remembered the relationship that we have with him, and he remembered that we were not just forsaking him and casting him aside. Now, I mention that because in a lighthearted way, it pictures for us, I think, something we can learn from this psalm as we seek to apply it to our lives. That the psalmist here, Ethan, the Ezraite, he recounts God's steadfast love, his faithfulness. But then he goes into questions of how long are you going to cast us off of an apparent abandonment? And the comfort that we can have in this psalm is that it reminds us that in times of distress, where maybe it's hard to see God's presence in our lives, it calls us to remember who he is. He is the God who is faithful. Because this psalm, as we look at it through the lens of the full revelation that God has given us, as we look at it through the lens of the New Testament, we see that ultimately it points us to the one who was indeed forsaken. It points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. In this psalm, as we look at it through the full lens of the scripture, we see that God did not renege his promises. He did not turn away from what he had established and said, but in fact, fulfilled what he was promising in this psalm. And so, brothers and sisters, when it appears maybe God has abandoned us or turned away, let us hold fast to his promises as they are fulfilled in Christ. And let us hold fast to his steadfast love. Now, as we consider that and we look at this psalm, again, we're going <coughs> to go through, <coughs> excuse me, 
uh, large swaths, not really focusing in minute detail. But the first point is the largest section of the psalm, verses 1 through 37. And this is, God promises the son of David will rule forever. That's uh, the promise that is made. And then in point two, God's promises appear to have failed in verses 38 and 51. But then lastly in verse 52, that God's promises are sure and steadfast. They, he is faithful and we can bless his holy name. So going back to the first point, uh, these opening verses in verses 1 through 37 really expand upon 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. And this is the section in Samuel that, uh, where David sees his palace, and he sees that God still lives, lives in a tent, and he uh, commits himself, I am going to build a temple for God. And so in response to that, God reminds David that he doesn't need a temple, he doesn't live in tents or uh, buildings of wood and stone, but he instead promises that he, David would have a son who would, in fact, build a temple for the Lord. Now, in the oftentimes Old Testament prophecy might have a fulfillment in the immediate future, but ultimately points to something yet to come. And so we have, as the historic account unfolds, Solomon is born and he comes to power and he does, in fact, build the physical temple of the Lord. But we also see, as uh, the account of Solomon's rule, that he falls away. He errs. He shows himself not to be that ultimate promised son of David. And so we have the promised son of David is someone greater, someone yet to come. And so we have, as Matthew begins, the genealogy of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of Abraham, the son of David. He is that promised anointed one, that promised son. And we have the, the promise that God made summarized in verses 3 and 4. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Salam. That's the, the covenant promise of the coming Messiah and King. But the rest of this section, verses 5 through 18 in particular, show how there is none like God. That he is far above all that he has made. <coughs> Even among the mighty ones or angels, there is none to be compared to God. He is the creator of all things. Heaven is his and earth is his and everything that is in creation. He is the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth. He has also shown his power in his mighty deeds. The psalmist asks in verse 8, O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. His power and his might. Rahab is referenced here, referring to the destruction of Egypt and going back to the exodus and delivering God's people from bondage. But in that is pointed to all the deliverances that God has won for his people. All of their oppressors that he has uh, brought to ruin. God's power, his mighty deeds, 
his righteousness, his justice, and his, his faithfulness are praised in this section of the psalm. But it's really as verse 8 asks, who is mighty like you? And, and even before that in verse 6, who in the heavens can be compared to you, O Lord? It's summarizing God in his being and that he it far exceeds anything that we could think or imagine. This is our God. And so the psalmist brings this to mind immediately after God declares in verses 3 and 4 this promise that he has made. God has made this promise to David and he is a God that can fulfill this promise because he is all-powerful and he does not change. But we also see greater evidence that is recounted here of God's goodness to David. God has made this promise and he shows his power but he also in verses 19 through 37 We have here the recounting of victory and military might that God won for his servant David. And we can read about David's life and the various enemies that he faced and yet the victory that God gave him. And even as before he truly came to power, he was known as a man of war. And in fact, that is one of the reasons why God says that David himself would not build the temple because... His hands were filled with blood. He was a man of war. Solomon, on the other hand, was a king of peace. A man of peace. But God, here, as Ethan recounts what the history of God's people is seen as fulfilling his promises to David and sustaining him and uh, upholding his kingdom And then there is that promise and that guarantee that this seed and this son would endure forever. We see this in verses uh, 27 and following, where uh, actually beginning in verse 26, it says, He shall cry to me, this is God speaking, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure <coughs> to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. This is speaking ultimately of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the King of Kings. He is the one who is the Lord of Lords. He is the one in whom God's covenant is sure and established forever. And he is the one who is sitting on his throne, reigning forever, and his kingdom will never end. God here gives his promise that his kingdom will never end cease. Now we also have here before the the tone of the psalm changes in verses 30 to 37 a recounting of another part of that covenant that God made with David that if his sons should err if his sons should fall away that God would discipline them as a father disciplines his son. 
And so we, we see, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, <coughs> nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever in his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Now as we look back again on the history of God's people, because of Solomon falling away, the nation of Israel was divided. Ten kingdoms were separated out. Ten tribes were separated out and became Israel. And then Judah and and Benjamin stayed together in one kingdom. The kingdom of Judah. The reason why it was divided was because of Solomon's transgression. But it's important as we consider those two nations then having been separated. We have recounted for us in First and Second Kings about how the nation of Israel, it didn't have a continuous family line that was the king. There was uh, Jeroboam, who was the, the first one to take over, and people followed him, but someone killed him and somebody else took over, and then someone killed him and somebody else took over. There was a, a changing of households, and there was rebellion. There was uh, overthrowing of houses and families and, and kings. But in Judah, we see this promise that God made that is recounted here in Psalm 89. Yes, the the kings of Judah, some of them were good and some of them were evil. But every single king of Judah was a descendant of David. That God maintained that promise that the line of David would continue to reign in Jerusalem. Now we have that going until the exile, when finally the the nation itself is removed and done away with. But we also have then, through the genealogies that are given to us in the Gospels, how God preserved the line of David. And so we have the son of David that comes, the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) And we have that promise here. That though the king's that we read about, some good, some bad. God disciplines them, but the promise is still there in verses 36 and 37 that his seed, the seed of David, will endure forever. And this promise we have fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first section of this psalm. God, a recounting of God's promise and his steadfast love, that his irrevocable promise that the seed of David would reign forever, and his throne would endure for all generations. And we have that fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that God is faithful to the word that he has given, as we now stand in the fulfillment of these promises. But then that leads us into verses 38 to 51, that it appears, as we have these series of questions, that the promises have failed. The psalmist asks, But you have cast us off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. And much like Psalm 88, 
that we looked at several weeks ago, there is all of this emphasis on, on you have done this. You have cast off. You have uh, brought his strongholds to ruin. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have done this. This is the hand of God that is doing this. It is God who has brought his anointed down and appears to have exalted the enemies of his anointed over him. Now this is a stark contrast to the first 37 verses. But yet we also, again, we know Israel's history. We know that God was ultimately pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we consider these questions, it points us to the suffering of our Lord as he endured the full wrath of God for us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was truly cast off and abhorred. Not because of anything he had done, but because of our sin that was placed upon him and that he was bearing. The psalmist proclaims, you have been furious with your anointed. The wrath of God being poured out upon his anointed one. We see that in the work of Christ on the cross. For all intents and purposes from those looking from the outside who walked by, who shook their heads, who hurled insults on our Lord as he hung upon the cross. In the view of all those walking by, the common refrain was that this man is one who is accursed. It would have appeared that his enemies had truly overcome They had their way. He was being crucified. He was being done away with. But as we consider the work of our Lord, that act of humiliation, that willing going to the cross and suffering the shame, that willing the willingness of our Lord to be cast off from his Father and to receive the full wrath due to our sin. It was not his being overcome, but it was his defeat of our enemies. As he himself said, nobody took his life from him, but he laid it down willingly. And as he had the power to lay it down willingly, he had the power to take it up again. And so in the cross of Christ, far from being an example of someone in their complete weakness, it is the most glorious thing as we as Christians understand that in that moment, our sins were being paid for. Our sins were being punished. And as Jesus Christ bore our sins, as he is the eternal son of God, the wrath that he endured was the just punishment of an eternal condemnation. God's wrath was poured out on Christ because of his steadfast love. Because of his faithfulness. Now as we also have been looking back at Israel's history, 
One of the things that is interesting to consider as we consider who was actually sitting on the throne in Jerusalem when Jesus was born. When you had Israel was under the, the power and authority of the Roman Empire, but we had King Herod sitting on the throne. Herod is an Edomite. He's a descendant of Esau. We had the very, one of the long-established enemies of God's people sitting on the throne in Jerusalem at the point at which our Lord and Savior was born. As the wise men rightly said, where is the king of the Jews who has been born? The rightful king. Now, as we consider the abandonment of our Lord for us, again, we're seeking to apply this to our own lives. You know, there may be times I've, where it appears that God is distant from us, that he's pulled himself away. But in those times, what we need to do is we need to fall back on the truth of verses 1 through 37. But then also as we consider verses 38 to, uh, to 51, we need to remember that we are not abandoned. That though we may feel and it may appear as if God is distant, we need to remember that our God is the God of steadfast love. That our God is the one who is faithful to his word. And our God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can't base our faith in the assurance of our salvation on our feelings and how close we feel to God. We need to base our comfort and our assurance on the faithfulness of God to the word that he has proclaimed. We need to not hearken to that old temptation of the serpent where he asked, did God really say? We need to, when we hear those temptations, to say, yes, God did say, he will never leave nor forsake. And God did forsake my Lord Jesus Christ so that I would not be forsaken. Remember in difficult circumstances, brothers and sisters, to rest on the truth of God's faithfulness that these verses point us to. <coughs> that brings us to the final verse. God's promises are sure and steadfast. If you take this, this psalm in its entirety, beginning in verses 1 through 37, the recounting of God's power and might and faithfulness and the promises that he has made. But then those questions and the abandonment that appears. We have here this verse that it, it, it ends with a declaration of praise and blessing the Lord forevermore. Now the Psalter is divided into five different books. And every single one of the books has a doxology of this sort, a declaration of glorifying God and blessing his name. Psalm 89 is the final psalm of book three in the Psalter. And so it ends with this declaration of blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. 
Now, as we consider this verse in the context of what we looked at here, we have a reason even in difficult circumstances to bless our God. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. We gave him praise tonight for his immutability. That's exactly what this psalm reminds us of. He is the same. And as we might go through difficult times and circumstances, we are pointed ultimately to Jesus who suffered for us. And we're reminded that in the cross of Christ is the example of God's faithfulness to the promises that he has made. Because it is through the cross of Christ that ultimately Christ is victorious and he is now glorified, ruling and reigning on his throne forever as God promised. We can continue to bless God in difficult circumstances because he is good and he is powerful and he is faithful. In dark moments of your life, children of God, know that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Know that your Savior was forsaken on your behalf. And know that your God is the same as he has always been. A God who is faithful to his word. When it appears, brothers and sisters, that God has abandoned you or me. Let us not believe the lie of the evil one. But let us hold fast to the truth of God's promises and his steadfast love and faithfulness. Amen. Our Lord, we do thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you, Lord, for your sure word and promises. And we pray that in moments where we might be uh, feeling that we are abandoned to a certain degree, we pray, Lord, that we would not believe those lies but instead hold fast to the truth that there was one abandoned for us, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you, Lord, will never leave us nor forsake us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <coughs> well, please uh, turn with me.